thanks to our sponsor, Avpoint. If you like The Cloud Show, you will love The Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and Regional Director, Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season 1 features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, hashtag shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 389. Today, AC and I are going to dive into the SolarWinds exploit and more, recorded live December 17th, 2020. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. You probably didn't get into cloud engineering to spend hours manually sifting through layers of data or manually creating reports to understand and explain your Azure costs. Neither did the IT pros at ShareGate, which is why they built ShareGate Overcast. ShareGate Overcast is an Azure cost intelligence tool that reduces manual monitoring and helps you make cost-efficient engineering decisions, and it can help you lower your Azure bill. ShareGate Overcast scans your Azure environment daily and analyzes your cost data. It automatically identifies cost issues and gives you the insights you need to fix problems fast. Plus, with personalized cost-saving recommendations, you can be sure you're only paying for the resources you need. Best of all, you can get ShareGate Overcast for free. Find out more at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. Back to the show. Good morning. Well, afternoon. Good afternoon, CJ. I should should make sure I say that. I think, what was it, two weeks ago we said it was such a slow news time that there's not going to be a whole lot going on. Last week we're like, man, we got a ton of news we got to get through. And then this week was like, holy crap. (laughs) Yeah, crazy, crazy times. How are you anyway? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Getting close to being the end of the year. I'm actually enjoying everybody else going on vacation and getting out of the office and like watching (laughs) all the stuff trying to slow down coming in. So it's like, you know what? I'm still working and I'm getting a lot more done. So I'm really liking it. I can't believe it's like a week before Christmas when we were recording this. Yeah, it's nuts. How about you? How are you doing? Hanging in there. It was my birthday a couple of days ago. So I took the day off and played a bunch of games with the kids and played some flight sim and just hung out and had a day off work. And it was it was really nice. Oh. Didn't get up to too much, but uh, it was good. Yeah, I noticed the uh, couple of places where I saw people like wishing you happy birthday and you were very slow to respond. I'm like... That's a good birthday. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice and disconnected. Yeah, for sure. I was just just uh, just hanging. It was nice. Yeah. Very relaxed. Not high key. We are, you know, by the time this show comes out, it'll be the week of uh, Christmas. And as a, you know, a lot of companies going out of the office and all that kind of stuff. One of our sponsors, I don't know if you picked up on this yesterday on Twitter, but one of our sponsors posted a, a little fun video that they did of the holiday time and using Microsoft Teams and tech support. ShareGate's video was, it was really well done. It was really cute. And um, I guess cute. I'll have to check it out. I hadn't seen that. I'll have to look at it. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes and it's, it was really good. It was this guy trying to do tech support with like these classic, this (laughs) classic personas in like in the business world. So (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have to check that out. I recommended somebody the, um, you know, the expert video the other Mm -hmm. day. You know, that I want you to draw seven parallel lines and two of them 
have to intersect. Yeah, yeah. And they all need to be red. <laughs> but I also want a green one. That sort of stuff, right? <laughs> it's like an IT project to a T. It's brilliant. Oh, anyway, yeah. I recommended somebody that the other day. So um, speaking of funny IT videos. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. We have a bunch of news and things to get into today. We're going to talk about the solar winds hack and some of the fallout that's happened over the last week or so from that. Actually, one thing before we move on. Did you see China had returned some lunar samples from the moon? I did. This was neat. How cool is that? So completely autonomously, they sent a mission to the moon, landed on the moon, collected a bunch of samples, about two kilos worth, I think, mm-hmm. of various... They, apparently they scooped and drilled and things like that. Anyway, they brought two kilos of material back with them, and then it successfully landed, I think it was yesterday or the day before. So um took 23 days in total, brought back two kilos of lunar samples, and um, I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome, completely unmanned. And then they're going to repurpose the, they're already teed up subsequent missions in case this one wasn't successful. So apparently they're repurposing those missions and are going to send them to other parts of the moon for different sample return missions. It's really cool. It's the Chinese unmanned version of Lunar Instacart, right? That they just like send it out, <laughs> go, go grab some stuff and bring it back. But it's, yeah. it's interesting because they haven't said, you know, what's the, what, you know, why did they do it? What's the reasoning behind this? And I don't know, I'm like, I, this isn't like a conspiracy theory kind of stuff, but it, it sure seems that that China is doing the same stuff with the Americans that the Russians and the Americans did a long time ago, where it was always trying to show like who's like superior, who's got the superior tech and stuff like that. So it just kind of sure, seems like yeah. one of those things going back and forth. So I immediately thought of that when I saw that they were doing this. I'm like, so why are you doing that? Why are you going to get some rocks? Because I mean, I think it's cool, mm-hmm. and I'm really, I'm really glad to see somebody's doing it. But the cynical side of me is just like, mm, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure the scientific benefit, but my theory on it is right. Remember, I went into the NASA social. Yonks and yonks ago, years and years ago, one of the things they showed at, at Swamp Works was building spacecraft heat shields out of like lunar regolith, right? Mm-hmm. Material from the surface of the moon. And so I reckon there's a lot to be said for mining the moon and getting resources not from you know, and not having to supply them from Earth. And so you don't have to lift them up out of Earth's gravity and out of our atmosphere is really the problem. Mm. You could go mine the moon and build parts of your spacecraft that you need to go to Mars, for example, Mm -hmm. without having to lift it all off the Earth. Like heat shields and potentially metals and all that sort of stuff, they should be able to mine it. And then I imagine China's also thinking about, hey, like if we could find some good resources on the moon and we could mine the living daylights out of it Mm -hmm. up in space in an autonomous fashion Mm -hmm. and then send them back to Earth for the stuff that we need. Yeah, because it, it's kind of like how it is like in the in the open seas, right? Or in like the, like in Antarctica and... International waters. International waters, yeah. Where it's mm. just like first person there to stake the claim of that area. You know, you have that, that's your area. And so you can do kind of whatever you want. There's no borders or anything up there. So, I think I mean, so. I think there are some international laws around space, but I just don't know how it pertains to mm. astronomical bodies. I don't yeah. know if they've written that into the rules. Yeah. yeah. I thought that, like there was that there was that show on how was it Apple? Yeah, Apple TV Plus is what they call it. And it's um oh what is that? It was the one Beyond, that was about um, it's about Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, I forget what the name of it is, but it's like it was what if the Russians beat the Americans to the moon? And 
they kind of play the whole thing out. And part of it, you can see that the Russians have a base on the moon and the Americans have a base on the moon. And there's a part where they kind of, they're watching each other the whole time, but they can't leave. The Americans don't want to leave their base because they don't want the American, the Russians to take it over and vice versa. So it's always manned. It's just, it's, I was thinking about it in that sense. It's like going, well, they've set up a base over here and hey, their base is close to ours. Like, you can't be that close to ours. That's just weird or something like that. So, Yeah, I don't know. I guess... We'll see if there's a if there's a race for moon resources. Could be. Apparently, there's a lot of good stuff up there. Yeah, true. Chinese have successfully returned lunar samples. I think they're the only the third country to ever have done that. I think the Russians have done that with probes, perhaps. Actually, maybe I'm not I'm not sure about returning samples. Mm. Obviously, the US has. But anywho, shall we get on to the news? Let's do some news. There's a bunch today. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. And now, back to the show. All right, AC, we've got some... We've got some Azure goodies, some Microsoft 365 goodies, a little bit of Google goodies, and then we're going to get into talking about what's happened over the last couple of weeks with solar winds and mm-hmm. uh, the storm. It should be solar storm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's rather nasty. I'm sure yeah, everybody's heard about it. I'm not so sure I would call this a Google goodie. I'm going to start this one off because I remember I woke up, I think it was Monday morning, And there was a tweet from somebody in uh, Europe that was complaining about, hey, look, it's another Monday and it's Microsoft 365 is down. And what could eclipse that news? Nope, not SolarWinds this week, but Google had a massive outage as well. So Google was down, Gmail was down, YouTube was down. They were down for a while. The funny part of this one, or I guess it's funny to us, it's not funny to the people at Google. They Thankfully, enough time has passed where they've able to figure out what the problem was. I'm just going to read it from their point of view because this is pretty easy to to understand what they're saying here. Uh, Quote, the root cause was an issue with our automated quota management system, which reduced the capacity for Google's central identity management system, causing it to return errors globally. And as a result, we couldn't verify that user requests were authenticated and served errors to our users, end quote. So effectively, their auto-scaling kind of went the other direction. Someone must have like done a negative one in there instead of a positive one on the multiplier. Yeah. And um, yeah, they like um, they elastically shrunk, I guess is a way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Downsized, scaled back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would translate that as saying, uh, to for Microsoft people, is Yo, dog, our Azure AD went down. Because yes. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah, totally is. Yeah, it totally is. It was weird because it's like that morning I woke up and our internet was out uh, at my house and couldn't figure out what was going on. We were down for, well, I woke up and I remember seeing that tweet that was like Microsoft 365 is down. So then I thought that it was our, like where we are, I thought it was down. And then we turned around a little bit later and f- come to find out I, it's not just 
365. It's not just Google, which I would think that neither one of them would be down at the same time. But uh, all of our stuff was down. Somebody, I think, ran over a a local box in our neighborhood. And uh, we were down from, I think, 11 o'clock one night until almost 4 p.m. the next day. Ouch. Yeah. Man, so yeah, I guess... uh... I guess it's it's not just Microsoft that has bad cloud days, and Google Google got their day in uh, cloud court <laughs> last week. <laughs> they were held in contempt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they were shut down. Yeah. yeah. Huh? How about you? What you got for us? There's an article here that I stumbled across the other day, which was called "Powerful Ways to Connect SharePoint Team Sites, Files, Lists, and Pages as Tabs in Microsoft Teams." Hmm. And the content of it is really not all that interesting to me, like, and not all that not all that important about what I'm trying to say regarding it. But it struck me as so they covered a bunch of integrations basically between SharePoint and Teams. And as I was reading it, I was just thinking to myself. Now that Teams and SharePoint are in the same team, so to speak, under Tipa, under Jeff Tipa at Microsoft, and Teams is on a roll in terms of, you know, it's got all the shiny goodness at Microsoft and all that sort of stuff, and it's cross-platform and all of that sort of stuff, it wouldn't surprise me if Teams becomes the de facto client for SharePoint and all the effort goes into that and the browser gets left behind. I just had that thought. I was like, it might take a while to play out, but... I wonder if that's the direction they're going. Isn't that something you asked Jeff about when we spoke to Jeff Tieper a couple about a month or two ago? I think or we've, oh, we've it talked sounds about like that. a brilliant question I would have asked. <laughs> it sounds like something that we've talked about in the past. And it, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I don't see Microsoft going that far with it. It would be a great way to get rid of IE eleven, but I can't see them going that far and making like almost making SharePoint just all teams. But in one sense, too, I can also see SharePoint just trickling away. Yeah. As a okay. thing that you go to, just kind of just trickles away. Like, sure, you'll be able to go and use the browser for a while, of course. Like, I'm not saying I think they're going to stop browser support. I just think that all their effort will go into integrating it in Teams. It becomes the new front end for SharePoint, and SharePoint's a bunch of services behind the scenes. You know, we've talked about this for a few years about is this what will happen with SharePoint over time and the services kind of get split apart and things like that. But I just, as I was reading this article, they were talking about a lot of Teams integration and it just sort of struck me as like, huh, now that they're both in the same realm, they can be much better together much more easily without org infighting. Jeff gets to make all the shot, call all the shots and they could pull it off. And and Teams could be just sort of like the, the best experience for what you get from SharePoint. And maybe the browser is just, Good. Wonder if like we just need we just need another way to build a web page like what we do today to have like an intranet site and just saying like all the content because really Teams is just leveraging all the stuff inside of, of Sh- the infrastructure of SharePoint to implement a lot of their stuff. So we just need something to really just build the page or maybe even it's just the first page or the front page of the intranet. So we just need a, a tool that's I don't know like front page. Yeah, like. Yeah, let's get one of them. <laughs> I told you, SharePoint Designer, man, it's coming back. Like, it's going to be huge. No. <laughs> no, but you could imagine. So imagine if, okay, so here's hypothetically throwing it out there. Imagine if SPFX, if SPFX added, like, WASM support. Mm-hmm. You know what WASM is? Like the WebAssembly module stuff in the browsers? So you imagine if SPFX retooled around WASM, and then the Teams client could just start running WASM modules really easily. Then you've got like web parts are just WASM components or whatever they're called, 
widgets, components, whatever, whatever they are. And then you get, mm-hmm. then you break away from a bunch of the uh, need for things like, um, you know, shonky JavaScript support and browsers and all that sort of stuff. And it's, um, and you sort of get more native client benefits like around performance and things like that. But with cross-platform enough that you could still ship it and have it work on a Ubuntu box. I don't know. I'm thinking a long way out, but well, I can see what you're saying. I don't. I don't necessarily agree, and I think that that would. I don't see Microsoft doing that. But there was a thought many, many years ago, like back in 2008 timeframes, that uh, and I can't say I was party to this, so I'll say we, but it wasn't really. I mean, we as in Microsoft when I worked there, we're going to replace the front end of SharePoint completely rebuilt in Silverlight. And what I'm saying is sort of similar to that. But yeah, but it didn't happen. And so why would that ha- why would they do it now? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just hypothesizing, right? Oh, I know. We're just having fun. I actually yeah, I don't think browser support's going anywhere anytime soon, but I can sort of see this path to more native looking and performing web apps and what tech they could use to get all, you know further down that path. Bring tenant switching hell to SharePoint. Put it all in the in Teams. <laughs> <laughs> We've had tenant switching hell in SharePoint for years. It's nothing new. Oh, well, it's a lot worse with Teams, though. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's very true. Yep. Anyway. Sticking with our Microsoft 365 theme here, there were three message center items that trickled through this past week. I thought I'd just run through them really fast. The first one is uh, number 229331. And this is presenter view and Teams presentation sharing. So the presenter can now see a presenter view during the presentation sharing in a meeting. So effectively, the same kind of thing that we can do on a desktop of like presenting a PowerPoint deck, you can actually do presenter sharing and everyone else would see the actual presentation, but I still get to see presenter mode on my side. Uh, As far as the timing goes for that, when should we be able to see this? Standard release and GCC tenants will start seeing this rollout in mid-January being complete by the end of January and GCC high and DOD tenants will see it start rolling out in February and be completely rolled out in February. So that's a, that's a quick feature rollout. The next one that I've got here is a message center 229143, an update to Microsoft 365 and Outlook for Windows connectivity. They've changed some of their plans to meet performance expectations. They've updated the supported versions of Outlook for Windows that'll be able to connect to Microsoft 365 services. And so those are all listed. I'm not gonna run through the specific things on the show because it's a bunch of detailed version numbers. I'm not gonna deal with, I'm not gonna go through that and make people try to remember that stuff. So just go to the show notes and um, that you can get delivered to your inbox if you sign up for our newsletter or just go to the site and we'll have a link to that message center ID or number. And then the last one is Message Center 229161, and this is something we've all been waiting for, the Yammer API, URLs and changes to user communities or network photos. So beginning on January the 11th of 2021, they're going to start updating how they return photos for Yammer users, communities, and networks. You may need to make changes to your application that use Yammer APIs, you know, for the a couple apps that use Yammer APIs. And they're just making some changes to it. So if you're interested, you can go take a look at the uh, message center ID for that. Yeah, I can't say I'm all that excited about the Yammer API one, but yeah, I'm sure some people out there are suffering with Yammer APIs to this day and will be like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So not my bag, but 
hey, exactly. I'm down on Yammer, you know. I am as well. Hey, uh, let's take a quick break and then get stuck into some solar new, solar winds news or one more thing. There was one more thing that I saw that I thought oh, we, should, yes. we should call out. This is kind of big, and I'm curious to get your take on this. So Alex Simons for um, the Azure AD team announced that the Microsoft Authenticator app that we were using to do like multi-factor auth and for a lot of authentication in a lot of Microsoft apps that's required on mobile, they've added the ability now to also be a password manager. And part of that is allowing us to be able to store your passwords the same way that you can do with apps like LastPass or what is that? OnePass is another one. Is that the other one that we have? Yeah, one password. That's the one. Yeah, I one use. password. I had mixed feelings about this. Like, I'm not. A, I mean, I saw some people going crazy about this. I was like, man, I'm not at all interested in trying this. Not because I would. I want. I, I like. I don't like it. I'm a LastPass customer, and there are some features that it does that I, I've already seen that this that the Microsoft one doesn't specifically like shared folders that I can share credentials with my wife or with my kids, but. It's not a trust thing with Microsoft. I don't trust them, my passwords. But with Azure AD going down as often as I see like them having outages, I'm not sure that I want my passwords and my MFA stuff kind of tied together. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm pretty mixed on it. I mean, they obviously built this for some sort of reason. Like you would think that somebody was out, you know, a bunch of customers were asking for this perhaps or something along those lines. I'm not sure. And I don't know where it's come from, but I am pretty mixed on it. Will I use it? Nope. I absolutely love 1Password and think it's one of the best bits of software out that I use on a daily basis. And it does a ton more than this. And I, So I think if you were just looking for a free password manager, maybe for work or something, for your work stuff, then, then this would make sense. And this is the problem I've got with, with what Microsoft does in these kinds of things. And I'll use to-do as an example, Right. You can log into To-Do with a work account or a personal account, right? And you can create tasks. But I have tasks that are work and personal, not individual tasks, but, you know, I have work tasks and I have personal tasks. And I want them separate so that if I leave my employer, I've still got my personal tasks. And so the same thing freaks me out a bit about this. Like, if I start using this and I sign in with my Microsoft account, and I start putting passwords in this. When I leave work, I'm still going to have all those passwords with me, I assume. So work's going to be a bit pissed about that because they don't control access to these passwords that I used to have access to. Right. But if I sign in with my work account and I start putting personal passwords in there, then when I leave, I'm losing all access to my passwords. Like, I don't know if I'm missing something. It doesn't seem like well thought out to me. It doesn't seem well thought. It, that part of it, I agree with you. That was another concern that I had with it. This multi-tenant world, it makes a lot of sense for people who live and live and work and breathe inside Microsoft. I get that. And I can see why they built it. I can also see that the demand coming from customers saying, hey, LastPass has been hacked in the past or has been compromised in the past. Yes, my passwords are in LastPass. And yes, I'm just like you. I love it as much as you love OnePass. And there's nothing wrong with either one of them, I don't think. Yeah. But they say, hey, look, we trust Microsoft, we trust you in the terms in a security stance. We trust you to make sure that you do the best thing to make sure things are encrypted and safe. So we'd rather you guys be the ones using your app to be able to do that to do that. I understand that kind of a demand, but like you, I'm just a little concerned with saying, I don't know if I want to put both my eggs in that basket in that basket. Hey, it's a free option if if you don't want to. If you don't want to uh, buy a password manager or 
or use any of the others, I guess it's available for free. I hope this has been driven by customer demand and not just like, oh, let's stuff passwords in this authenticator app now and things like that. I'm curious to see how many people end up using it, how many people switch over to it, leaving like LastPass or leaving OnePass. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, I don't think they'll be shifting users that anytime soon. No, me either. There's so many other choices. It just surprised me they got into this business. Anyway. All right. Shall we take a quick break, hear from one of our wonderful sponsors, and then dive into some horrific news from the last week around the solar winds hack? I was going to say it sounds good to me, but that's not really what I mean. But yeah, let's do that. This podcast is brought to you by Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, would you take it? Because our friends over at Nintex want to give you a gift. The gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you definitely should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to sprint it however you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. And we're back. All right, AC. Possibly, do you think it's the worst hack you've seen in your time? Like, can you remember anything, like, more disastrous than this? No, I can't. This was one of those, like, as I started to read more about it and to understand it, and at first I didn't fully grasp it, but one of the links that I posted in our show notes that a friend of ours who's in the involved with security at Microsoft, cybersecurity and stuff at Microsoft, shared this link with us from the Microsoft, oh, what does that stand for? MSRC, Microsoft Security Response Center. I think is that? Yeah. The more I read this, this was a classic, like, holy beep. <laughs> <laughs> this is an absolute shocker. And the the breadth and the depth that they've managed to get to, and, and also the organizations that it's exposed, I think is un, unrivaled, right? So this is terrifying. This is absolutely terrifying. The story goes that on December the 13th, FireEye published a write-up about a hack. And they know about this hack because they were hacked. <laughs> <laughs> so they were a victim of this hack. And being a security firm, somehow they managed to find out that they'd been hacked. I'm not sure exactly how yet. But they discovered that they'd been hacked. And they did some research on what, uh, you know, how they got compromised and they, they got to the bottom of it. So in a nutshell, SolarWinds is a software vendor that provides a whole bunch of arguably security software. <laughs> <laughs> management, like IT management now. suites. IT yeah, management, yeah. that's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. IT management software. I'm actually, not, I have. I really don't know the ins and outs of all this software. They seem to have a bunch of different packages doing network management and all sorts of things. In a nutshell. It feels like the Oracle, like, like HR type suite where it's like all these different things that you can get between like financials and people and all that stuff. It, it, or like a Microsoft Dynamics. It's like there's all these little pieces that you can get. In a nutshell, the simplest terms that I can explain it, one of their patches got compromised. And so customers were installing software from SolarWinds, patches from SolarWinds that included software or a DLL inside it that was really not from SolarWinds. It had additional code that had been added to it 
by this hacking group, by the hackers. And so customers would install that patch, run the software, the software would spin up, and basically that those, you know, it's a Trojan horse, right? The, the hacker's code is run inside their organization. And so they managed to do it by a very cunning technique, right? They managed to get access to the code signing certificate from SolarWinds. So they were able to build SolarWinds, the hackers were able to make a version of the DLL with their code included and digitally sign it so that it looked like it had come from SolarWinds. So you know you're on a DLL, you can right-click it and go into the properties and go into digital signatures and see the signatures that it has. You could go into this DLL and go see that it had been signed by SolarWinds. And so SolarWinds software operated by loading these DLLs in and checking the signatures, right, so that they could only be loaded if they were signed from them and all those sorts of things. Pretty standard stuff. The same way Microsoft does it with their patches. Like Windows updates, yeah. Yeah, Windows updates, all Windows DLLs and everything is all, all signed and all that sort of stuff. So that's how they got in. But, you know, once they're in, then all hell broke loose. <laughs> yeah, that's the part that really got interesting, right? Because, you know, once they they were able to figure it out, the links that we have in the show notes, we got a couple things that actually point out to some of the announcements, some of the reporting from Microsoft. We'll get to that in a little bit. But once the code was run, and this goes back to, they think that the compromise happened anywhere between March and June of this year. So this has been going on for, at a minimum, it's been going on for at least six months. And we've just now learning about it in the last two weeks. And not just us. I mean, the the people who are compromised are just learning about it. SolarWinds is even learning is just now learning about it. Yeah. Admittedly, we all learned about it apparently a day after some of the investors for SolarWinds learned about it because apparently there was a bunch of people that sold stock the day before the announcement came out that they had been hacked. That's a totally different story that we would <laughs> Yes. Yes. But once this stuff ran, what it then did is it it was able to run like laterally and it was able to create some backdoors that looked like legitimate backdoors. And then they it also was doing like a phone home kind of a thing. Yeah, and, command and control. Yeah, and even though that, that, when that when that had happened, when they created these different backdoors, company, now whoever the, whoever the hacker was, and there's some reporting that, that, it, that insinuates it's the Russians and Cozy Bear, but whoever the hacker is, whoever the actor is that did this, they can then get back into these systems without anything looking like it's, out of the ordinary because it's just legitimate stuff that's in there. Yeah. While Microsoft has stepped in, they have taken over the domain through legal means working with uh, GoDaddy. They have taken over the domain that was the phone home domain. That doesn't change anything in terms of, but the hackers can still get in. If they're in, they're still in. If you've been pwned, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta, you've either just got to burn it all down or figure out how to cut off where they still have access. And... um I was staggered at the at the sneakiness of it all because so once you know they managed to get the digital certificate to sign these DLLs that's one thing they managed to get it in they effectively must have cracked their CICD build pipe right to get the code inject their own stuff get it built using the certificates and get it distributed through official channels and then once it gets into the customers then it then it's even more sneaky then it's running right and then it sat dormant for a couple of weeks did nothing because you just want to, you know, after you patch something, you keep an eye on it and see if it's running as you expect, right? So you, you let it sit dormant for a couple of weeks, and then it starts to phone home. And as you said, it did so using protocols that the SolarWinds software itself was probably allowing to happen, 
right? Mm-hmm. It was like it masqueraded its own traffic using the solo using the Orion Improvement Program protocol. You know how Windows says, "Hey, do you want to check this box and send information to Microsoft to help make our programs better?" That's what this sounds like. Right? Yeah, it's, well, it, it totally does, and it's like it, that's it, it's so. I just you just lost my train of thought. It's just so <laughs> sneaky. Like they've managed just to hide it all. That's the part that got me. So it's the depth of the um, what's called operational security. It's the depth of the and, and the extent that this organization went to to imp- to roll something like this out. Like for example, some of the things that it did not just sitting there dormant and sitting silent to make sure that you know people that were still watching for something odd to happen. They kind of let enough of that time pass where that wouldn't happen, but. As this is almost a bit of well, it is a quite a bit of a compliment to Microsoft. The things that were when it infected certain computers or certain systems, it also was targeting Microsoft or doing the opposite of targeting a main block of Microsoft IPs because they knew that Microsoft does a good job of being able to investigate and seeing this stuff happening and detect this stuff from happening. So they're like, hey, we want to hack everybody, but we don't want to hack. Microsoft, because we want to make sure we, they may notice what's going on. I want to so we want to try right to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, that is crazy. For Microsoft, that's kind of like going, well, that makes us feel good because somebody, the hackers totally respect us in that sense. But yeah. just seeing that level of sophistication. And then, the, I mean, when we hear about this is all scary and everything, I'm sure by now most of our listeners have seen at least the news reports for this. The thing that's so terrifying about it is who has been acknowledged to have been compromised. In the United States, the Commerce Department, the Treasury Department, the Homeland Security Department. But on SolarWinds' website, they boast about having you know 18,000 customers, including people like the United States Department of Defense, a lot of other organizations that are out there. And part of the reporting that came out originally was that these organizations, one of the advisories that came out was saying, you need, if you suspect that you've been compromised by this, you need to assume that your none of your communications are secure in terms of like that nothing is secret. And so the fear is now that there is a, and this is something that I read, one of the last links that I, I posted out, that I'll post in the show notes, is something from the Washington Post that is something that came out this afternoon on the day we're recording this, that says this might be the single greatest threat to the security of the United States that we've ever seen. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. So, you know, once they're in, they get access to all sorts of interesting, cunning stuff, right? So as specifically how it relates to Office 365 and Microsoft 365, what this hacking group did was once they had a door into the organization, they went looking for stuff as you do, right? Mm -hmm. As you would do, I suppose. And a lot of these organizations used Office 365 and they federated their their sign-in for 365 with their Active Directory on-premises. And you do that with ADFS, right? So they have ADFS running... And so people can log in with the same credentials, you know, they would in their desktop and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so these hackers found ADFS servers in some of these organizations and went and looked and found the token signing certificates used for signing authentication tokens and authorization tokens from ADFS. So what that means is if you have those certs, you can make up any tokens you like and sign them from the official source from that company. And so they used those to create tokens that allowed them to sign into Office 365 as anybody in the organization. And into not just into Office 365, into Azure, into any other Microsoft services right? that that, that user had access to. So I could create a token for you and 
read your email or what have you, or, or, or if Microsoft was compromised, for example, I could have read Sarge's mail. And so they use those to monitor and, and maintain access to everybody's emails and inboxes and communications and documents and the whole nine yards flowing through Office 365, which is absolutely brutal. But then the, the cunning bit to me that blew my mind was they thought, well, okay, so what if somebody finds out that we've been compromised and they realize we have that certificate, they can revoke all the certs and, and reissue new ones and and will be kicked out. And so while they still had access to some of these organizations' Azure Active Directories and Office 365 environments, they went in and did other things to insert new little backdoors, such as adding additional secrets to existing app registrations in Azure AD that had mail.read.all OAuth scopes attached to them. So they could grab the app ID. Now they knew they had a secret for that app. And so they could maintain their mail reading capabilities even if they lost token access to Office 365. If I was in... Wow. The trickle effect... Sneaky. I mean, from a small organization, but then, God, think about somebody like Think about something like the, the Department of Defense. I mean, imagine SolarWinds is getting absolutely destroyed by... I'm surprised their stock was only down 20% the day after, when all this news kind of broke. But that stuff is absolutely terrifying. Imagine being in, in IT security, learning about this. And the only thing... I mean, not only do you have... If you just look at the one aspect of looking at all of your apps that you have and all the different secrets that are with those apps or all the certificates that you have for the users and then passwords for users and everything. Aside from just having to deal with that mess of just saying, I don't know what's good and what's bad. I know we've been compromised. I don't know what's good and what's bad. So I've really just got to, I got to delete all the secrets and start recreating new secrets and have to go through all of that issue. But then think, like you just said, think about all the apps that are there and like that there's, hey, look, there's this new V, we had created a VM inside of Azure, but that VM was already there, but they were able to get the credentials to get into that VM and they installed something in that VM. Just the time that it's going to take to go through and to find everything. And at some point, don't you just have to shut everything off so that there's no way for them to get in while you're doing, while they realize that like, hey, they know about it. How am I going to stop them from doing something while I'm still trying to chase it? Like at one point, is, does the wall go up and say, look, we have to somehow stop these people? Game over, man. Do you know that meme with the little girl that's looking back over her shoulder, looking really like she's got a, a cheeky smirk on her face while the house is burning in the background? You know that yeah. meme? It's almost like that, right? It's like, just burn it all to the ground and start again because you're completely owned. I mean, I know that's not possible, but uh, yeah, it's just where do you even go with it, you know? It's that terrifying. Compromise. We have a, a shared friend that's involved in this space. And when the way that he was reacting to it or the way she was reacting to it, when we were learning about some of this stuff, that's what really got my attention. That's what really had my alarm. My radar was way up. And then the more you thought about it, you're just like, God, this is, it blew my mind how bad it really was. There's a link to an article uh, that came out today on GeekWire about the steps that Microsoft is doing to stepping up, you know, stepping up to the plate to help combat this particular problem, which the first thing I say on this is it's awesome to see Microsoft stepping up and doing this because they're yep. in a position to be able to help fight this more than most. And they've done some really, really interesting things like they've they've distributed antivirus definitions for Windows Defender, for example, to be able to find these compromised bits of code. 
they've and they were alerting people about that at, at the beginning. Now they're actually blocking it, right? So that those things get quarantined as opposed to allowed to run. They did some stuff with Azure Sentinel too, where it was watching for certain activity as well. That they were they did that right away as well. Interesting. Yeah. So effectively, they've Windows Defender running all the, on all these boxes and all these companies. You know, almost overnight went from allowing the stuff to run to to killing it and um, putting it in quarantine. As you mentioned, they took over the domain and sinkholed it, right, so that the stuff couldn't phone home. And they can tell who's calling it, right? So the article points out this is pretty interesting because Microsoft can then reach out to organizations where they go, you've got this stuff running and you might not know, so now you do. They can reach back out to them and tell them that. Yeah, and and that's the thing that's scary about this one is that because the bad actor has access to the systems through getting in through a back door, they I wonder if they're I you know I'm theorizing on this. They haven't said anything about this, but could he just go in and say stop phoning home? And so you now don't have these calls going out, and you don't know if you have been compromised. Yeah, how's this for getting devious as hell? Now that your code is your code is already running, what if you then go in and you replace the DLL that was compromised with the new DLL that is no longer compromised that has the good signature in it? And so you now go look at all your stuff and you're like, oh, look, we weren't compromised. We're fine. But you really do have backdoors in there from they came in and kind of cleaned up behind themselves. Yeah. It's really nice working for yourself right now and not having solar winds installed in your in your environment. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be terrified, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, just uh, it's like, I don't know. When I see a spider over a certain size, it's, you know, crawling out of somebody's car or whatever. I'd be like, cool, time for a new car. Yeah. You know, it's almost like that. <laughs> Just just douse it in petrol and set it on fire. There's not much more you could do. My parents were asking me, like, you know, what is this like? And I was like, the best way I can describe this is if you had somebody come into the house to repair something, and while they were there, they made a new key to the front door, and they had a new security code to your security system. They didn't change the key. They didn't change your security code. They added new ones, right, that their stuff now works. And when you're not there... They go in, and they do their stuff, and they leave. While they were there, they tapped your phones. They put in a little micro cell site that your cell phones were attaching to that they could monitor and watch and all that. They got little peephole cameras everywhere and secret cameras. They can watch what you're doing. They can read what you're reading. They can watch what you're watching. They can see what you're doing on the internet, the whole lot. Like You're effectively got transparent walls at that point. wonder how long this is going to last. I wonder how long we're going to see fallout from this. This is this is the part I don't understand is how you recover from something like this, right? That's I'd love what, to yeah, talk that's to a, I'd love to talk to a, like a real hardcore security professional that understood the process. Okay, so you're a large, I don't know, pharmaceutical organization or something. You find out that you are in fact a victim of this hack. What comes next? How do you come back from this? What are the steps? And I don't know. Do you ever have that lingering thought that maybe we didn't get it all? <laughs> you know, it's funny you say it like that because I, I talked to another friend of mine who's in this business and he's like, you know what this is like? He said, this is like cancer. He said, this is just like cancer. Hmm. And this individual actually had been through, had, had uh, has fought and, and, and is a survivor of cancer. But they're like, you know, you imagine you're going through chemo and you're going through surgery and everything. You're doing all this stuff to get rid of what's already there. And you're always hoping... Did they get it all? Did we get it all? But you're always in fear of, I don't know, I still go back for my scans. And it's like, he said, but that's kind of like what this is. Are you ever really going to know that you got it all? 
And the only way that you can fully, you can, he said, the only way you can completely be, this was so morbid when he said this, he said, the only way you can be completely sure that you got it all is just to blow it all away and start over. And he goes, you can't do that with cancer. He said, you can't blow away a company, all the infrastructure in a company and just start over. You just can't. He said, it'll kill the, it'll just like what happens to humans. He goes, it'll kill the company. Kill the patient. Like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Carnage. Merry well, Christmas. I guess, yeah. <laughs> right? There's going to be some people working, unfortunately, a lot through the holiday break. Well, probably for months to come, right? This is one of those things that feels like it's not going to be a, oh, we've patched it. We can move on. They're going to be sitting there wondering and watching and fixing stuff for probably the next you know, year or more. The only thing they've done is they've puckered up. They haven't patched it. They've puckered up quite a bit. Yeah. I feel for it, man. I feel for it. This, is, this was diabolical. And now, okay, we talked about that side of it. And you and I talked about this offline too. And I'm not going to go, I don't want to go this far into it. But where does it go from here? Like, if they really find out who did this, are there repercussions from this? Right. That's the part that there, and there are some people that are stepping out and saying that, I mean, they've, they've pointed a finger and they say who's responsible for it, but they're like, we, there has to be something, there has to be a repercussion for this. You cannot, you can't let this go. You got to think that way, right? Like at some point it gets so horrifically bad that it's effectively like, I don't know, lobbing a missile at another country or something, mm-hmm. right? That it's that destructive, economically destructive or or destructive, like I made a call on, I made a comment to you on on, uh, on a private chat that we had the other day. I said, "What? So DHS has been hacked, right? As part of SolarWinds. What if they were in there issuing orders for, you know, deportations of people from the US? Stuff like that. That's just the, like I was trying to think of an example where you know something digital would sort of traverse into the physical world. There's all sorts of examples like that, but one of them could be." issuing orders to deport people or pulling out of lawsuits or all sorts of stuff like that. Or even more subtle, like they could have used this to put software into products that these companies were then shipping to customers and now our bloody toaster is compromised and all your house network is compromised. Do you know what I mean? Like it sort of traverses into the physical world, then, you know, we could have been having, you know, deliveries of batteries that we put in devices that are all suddenly listening to what we're up to. And I know it's pretty tinfoil hat wearing stuff, but like that's, but it could get to that, right? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think it is that tinfoil. I mean, this is, you don't know where this ends. I mean, this was, this was clearly a, a nation state like sponsored thing. This was a very like sophisticated attack. And so that's not me saying that that's like what the, what the, what the, the what main the security are people are saying, yeah. all the pros are saying this is a nation state thing. So that's the part where, like, you know, what's the fallout going to be from this? What, where did this go from? This isn't somebody hacking Elon Musk's Twitter account. This is, yeah. So we'll see, man. It's scary, and this is it's uh, going to be interesting to see where this goes. The fact that this is still news every day since it came out, starting late last week, it's just nuts. The next step will be watching what companies come out with saying we've been compromised, and here's what we're doing, and all of that. We haven't really seen like a massive deluge of that yet, right? We've seen more details on the actual hack and we've heard about some of the government departments that have been compromised, the US government departments that have been compromised. But at least I haven't seen a lot of, you know, sort of hands up in the air of, I've been, you know, we've been hacked, here's what we're doing, all of that yet. I think companies are probably still (laughs) shell-shocked and shell-shocked about what's happened to them. I think so. So with that cherry news, 
<laughs> I guess we'll revisit this in due course as we hear more about it and, and, the, and the fallout of it and all that sort of stuff. But but for now, how about we move on to some more cherry news and get into some of our picks? Sounds good to me. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC. I can already tell reading your URL that this is going to really interest me. So what have you got for us this week? You know those things called wingsuits that, you know, like uh, cliff divers or skydivers? Flying or whatever squirrel suits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll jump off like this ridiculously high cliff and then they'll, they'll you know, without like a pair, they have a parachute, but without the parachute like open, they've got these like um, kind of webbing between their arms and legs and they can use it to just kind of fly. I have ridden on the back of one of these people. <laughs> what? Have you really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sky, yeah, you go skydiving and there's people that skydive with these things on. And uh, you can jump out of the plane with them and hold on to their back and then ride them like a pony. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> you say that like so nonchalantly. <laughs> like, wow! It's it's yeah. You can surf on them and all sorts. But yes, so yes, I do know what you mean. <laughs> so BMW took this to the next level. Not just diving off out of a plane with a wingsuit. They have an electrified wingsuit where it looks like this guy's got like two turbines that are strapped to a device that's sitting right about like waist level, and. This video is this son of a bitch got going 186 miles an hour with this, with this electric wingsuit. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he's, 30, he's flying around. 33 year old was dropped off, dropped out of a helicopter at just shy of 10,000 feet along two other flyers that were sporting conven- conventional wingsuits, and he just took off. He just took off, and there's a whole video for it. Now the cool thing about it, they have a video of it, but what's really interesting about it is that. Well, not really interesting, but this is another interesting thing. This is episode one of a new series from, it looks like, from BMW. This looks fantastic. I'm definitely going to watch this. Oh, yeah, so I've got, a little, I've got a little backstory on propelled wingsuit flying. All right, that shoot. That happened probably 15 years ago. Okay. So a friend, I wasn't involved in this, but a friend of mine was living in Finland and met a guy, strangely enough, his name was called Vesa as well, <laughs> as the Vesa that we know. Not the same guy. But anyway, this guy's name was Vesa, and um, he wanted to fly in a wingsuit in a propelled way so that he could sustain level flight in a wingsuit and not fall out of the sky, right, as you do normally. And so he got these two small turboprop, sorry, turbo jet engines. I think they're from from, uh, some sort of uh, Russian military supplies, strapped him to his feet, made boots with these jet boots on them, and had hot water bottles, you know, rubber hot water bottles that normally you heat a bed with, full of kerosene, and strapped all over his body, and then jumped out of a hot air balloon from, I can't remember what altitude it was, and he had these triggers in his hands, and he could, and he had a wingsuit on, so he started flying the wingsuit, pulled the triggers and got the jets firing up to full noise, and it provided him enough horizontal thrust that he could use the wingsuit like a wing and he achieved, we believe he was the first to achieve level flight in a wingsuit under a powered situation. And my friend that was my friend that was living in Finland at the time jumped out of the hot air balloon with him and filmed the whole thing. 
And so I can send you the YouTube video. Oh, yeah, please. Of it happening. And you see him powering it up in this park and jumping out of this wingsuit. And he flew off and ended up being picked up on the side of a highway miles away and all sorts of stuff. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. You we got you got to find that video. We got to put that into the show notes. I definitely want to see that. I believe it was the first time, but it wasn't witnessed by Guinness Book of World Records. So I don't think it counted as a world record. Okay. Oh, my God. Like that's that. nuts. That's yeah, nuts. my fr- friend of mine that I learned to skydive with filmed the whole thing. It was pretty pretty interesting. Uh, speaking of YouTube videos, I have got one entitled "My Hunt for the El Chapo McLaren F1," <laughs> which, <laughs> which is so. If you know what the McLaren F1 is, it's kind of like the holy grail of road cars, right? It's like every proper driver's like holy grail car. Not everyone, but a lot of them. Like yeah. it is a beast. It's an absolute beast. Uh, very limited, I think 106 were made, something like that. Anyway, the apparently one of them ended up making its way into the hands of El Chapo, the famous Mexican drug lord, and disappeared. For decades, it disappeared. And apparently, it's made its rounds and has appeared a couple of times, and all this, there's all this mystery about what happened to it. And uh, so this video goes into the hunt for this McLaren F1. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty fascinating. At one point, he's he's offered this McLaren F1 to buy, and he's thinking, this is fantastic. Like, how often am I going to get to buy a McLaren F1 that's been sitting in a barn for whatever? It's going to be really cheap because it's got no papers. It's owned by a Mexican drug cartel. <laughs> it's been in a barn for 20 years or whatever it is. And, you know, it's going to be a deal. But do I really want to fly to Mexico into Sinaloa or I think it was somewhere around there. I think that's there. right, yeah. And go check out this F1 that I may end up in a, I may end up in a rubber bag and uh, buried. So anyway, it's a fascinating story, but go check it out. That's awesome. I'm scanning right now trying to find the car. I'm definitely going to take a look at this. Yeah. This is like a holy grail car for a lot of, a lot of car geeks. There's something about the McLaren F1 that just makes it just the sports car, right? Like, the pinnacle of sports cars. There's something special about it. I don't know what it. I, I don't. I can't put my finger. I mean, it's. I can't put my finger on one thing. The doors, the center seat, the fact that it was a three seater. I mean, there's so many little aspects to it that I would absolutely love. Just a no compromise. Yeah. Absolutely no compromise car. Yeah. Now they go for quite a lot of money. I think you can. There's certain limited versions of them that are going for twenty, thirty million dollars. Quite expensive, you might say. Not the one that Elon totaled. <laughs> no, that's right. He used to own one and then and then totaled it on the way to an investor meeting. Yeah, and it wasn't insured at the time. No, and he was so keen to not miss the investor meeting that he left his buddy, I believe it was Peter Thiel at the time. I think so too. Left him with the wreck and jumped in a cab and went to the investor meeting after he totaled it. Back at like the PayPal days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. There's a video on YouTube of him taking delivery of that McLaren F1, and um, he looks decidedly more geeky and decidedly like he has a lot less hair. So I guess with billions comes the ability to get a new head of hair. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) You can afford the plugs. That's my video. That's a great pick, man. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, by the time we talk next, it will be, or by the time that listeners hear from us next, it'll be uh, post-Christmas, so... Wish everybody happy holidays, and if you're going to take some time off, a nice relaxing break after what has been an utterly shit year. 
I think it's fair to say. <laughs> I'm afraid to this say is... it can't get worse than this. I'm really afraid to say that. <laughs> right? Surely. I mean, we've said that basically all year. <laughs> and for some of us, for the last four years. <laughs> and so, and so, and so I've just stopped crossing my fingers. I've stopped thinking it can't get any worse because it seems to happen. It's been, especially the last year, it's been a one of those things like all of the, I think, like the rules don't matter. Like, and when I say the rules don't matter, I mean like like the guardrails of the of the world, like all yeah, those things where true. I would have looked, I would have looked at my son or my daughter, and then I'd be like, "Don't worry, this will never happen." I'm like going, you know, I'm not saying that shit anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I have seen stuff this year that I never thought I would see in my life. From true, I mean, from civil unrest to politics to pandemic to just just like to cybersecurity, like we talked about today. Teams by the Microsoft Teams group. I mean, I, t- decisions by the Microsoft Teams group. No, I'm just kidding. But it just... <laughs> it, I mean, the new word icon. I mean, I, cats marrying dogs. All hell's breaking loose, man. No. Next episode, we're going to have some fun. We're going to look back at this past year. Not going to be one of our normal, like, look at the predictions or the hopes and stuff that we made, because I'm pretty sure all of our predictions this year were, nope, we didn't... We didn't <laughs> I'm going to just say we're going to go zero for zero this year. Yeah. But... We're going to look back at just kind of like some of the biggest things from this year and offer some thoughts, and that'll be our next one. That'll be a fun one. A bit one. of looking forward as well. Like, I'm looking forward to 2021. Yeah. I feel optimistic. I feel I feel good. I do. Yeah, exactly. Like, surely the odds are with us. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. I'm not going surely. that far. Surely the odds are with us. I mean, I would... If I was if I was in Vegas, would I bet on that? I'm not sure I'd bet on anything right now. It's like, oh, you can choose red or black. And I'm like, I don't know. I might go with blue. And I might have a yeah. chance. <laughs> red, red, black, and blue, yeah. Exactly. Well, we'll see. I guess time will tell. But we can always look hope. We can always be hopeful. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely hopeful. All right, man. Take care. Have a great Christmas. And we'll catch up soon. Yep. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Merry Christmas. You too. See ya. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.